Okay, so we're in Ruth, and we're in this incredible story of, uh, of a costly redemption, this incredible story, a romance of redemption that, that mirrors what Jesus has done for us. And we've seen, uh, looking back in, in chapter one, we saw this tragedy that happened, this family, they moved, they're, they're in a famine and, and worried about starving to death. And, and, I, and I believe, you know, mortgaged their land and, and moved and, uh, and went to Moab where there was food and tragedy befell them. The father died. They went with two young sons. They, as they grew up, they got married. And then, and then the sons died. The sons evidently were sickly and had health issues. Um, we kind of looked into that. And so Naomi, the, uh, the mother-in-law of the two, two Moabite daughter-in-laws, says, I, I'm, I'm going back to going back to, to my people. I'm going back to Bethlehem. And she tells him, don't, don't come. Don't follow me. I know, you, I know you're saying you want to, but don't follow me because there's nothing there for you. And, and Naomi knows something she, that, that maybe those girls don't quite recognize. Maybe they do. The Israelites hated the Moabites. There had been bad blood for many years between them. Some horrible things had happened. And so the Israelites hated the Moabites. And so she's trying to spare these two girls. You, you know, don't think you're going to come back and find a husband. Don't think that. You will only find contempt. You will only find, you know, she's trying to spare them that. And we'll go, and, she, and so one of them goes back, but Ruth, in one of the most beautiful parts of the Bible, says, no, where you go, I go. Your God is my God. And she says, and where you die, that's where I die. I will not leave you I pledge myself to you. I pledge myself to Yahweh. And so they come back. And Naomi is bitter. She says, don't even call me, Naomi, call me Mara. I'm bitter. And, and she laments and just uh, expresses her feelings. And then we get to chapter 2. And uh, Boaz, uh, um, Ruth goes out to glean from the fields, which is a common thing to do. And this man notices her. And he notices her in a way where he, he starts consciously doing things to help her and her mother, her mother-in-law. And, and he does things kind of on the sly and also very overtly in ways that communicate to her that I, I care about you. And this, and this develops. And uh, so in chapter three, and he's a, he's, a, he's, very, he's, he's a godly man. He's a righteous man. And you know, remember in this, we have no idea what Ruth looks like. We have no idea of very much about Boaz. But in this, this book, we see a series of this just so happened, just so happened events, right? And, and when something just so happens, you might call it coincidence or fate or karma, right? It, 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 my kids loved a, a book when they were little, a series of unfortunate events. They loved that. And, and it was just all these things piling on, piling on. Well, these are good events, and they're, they just so happened. And they're a sign of God providentially working in a life. You know, sometimes things happen, and you, it's easy to say it's a coincidence. But I can tell you in my experience over the years, there's too many of them happening. It's not coincidence. Oftentimes, it's God actively working in my life or people around me, people's lives. And here, it's, it's a series of grace events. Ruth, she just so happened to go to a field that was owned by a man named Boaz. Of all the fields she could have walked to, she picked one of his. 
it just so happened that Boaz, on that particular day, at that particular time, visited that field. It just so happened, and the Bible, in Ruth, it makes it very clear, he noticed her. He took note of her. She stood out. He said, what is happening here? And it just so happened that he was willing to go above and beyond what the law requires for how you treat a foreigner and how you treat someone who is gleaning after in your fields. It's, 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 the, uh, it's the form of welfare of that day, in a sense. And he went way above and way beyond what was required. And it just so happened that the owner of the field who noticed her, who went way beyond, a man named Boaz, was related to her, a close relative. And it just so happened, we find out as we continue reading, that he is willing, not willing. He wants to redeem her. He wants to, desperately wants to redeem her. So in chapter three, Naomi tells Ruth, get, get done up. Put your best clothes on, putting on the Ritz, right? He says, she, she says, you, you put on, take a, you know, wash, makeup, hair, something I'm very familiar with. Um, and she says, and here's what you're going to do. And basically, in that culture, she went to the threshing floor and she asked Boaz to marry her. She proposed. And so it's this, this whole thing. And, and what is beautiful, one of the things about chapter three that I loved is she worked very hard at protecting his reputation. And at the exact same time, he worked very hard to protect her reputation. They both were looking out for each other. Let me tell you something. If you get involved in a relationship where two people have decided to elevate each other where two people, and Paul describes this, he gives us some ideas on how this works in a marriage. It, two people who say, I want what's best for you. What is best for you? That's my goal. You get two people doing that and something incredibly beautiful starts to happen. Something that is amazing and it will revolutionize your life. It's, it's, it's incredible. So he, she protected his reputation. Uh, reputation. She protected, he protected hers. He gave her a large amount of grain at the end of this, end of chapter three, which looks very much like a bride price. He says, don't, don't go home empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Come back with money, right? And Naomi sees all of this. She sees all this, and Naomi knows, she knows the culture better. She knows the situation better. She knows all the signs better. She says, basically, girl, <laughs> that man's crazy about you. And so she, so, and now you can imagine, uh, Ruth is kind of worried. She doesn't know exactly what's happening. And she goes, oh, oh no, you can rest easy because that's a man on a mission. You know, it's like the blues brother. We're on a mission from God. That's a man on a mission. You know, uh, in Deuteronomy 25, we're given a lot of information and it would take too long to go through all of it, but we're given a lot of information about this thing that's called a kinsman redeemer and how it works. And, and it gets very explicit about how it's supposed to work, but it bases it, a lot of it is, is the importance, as I said before, the importance of the family name, continuing the family name. And family names give you inheritance. You own land on the basis of names, Right? So there's land that is assigned to Elimelech. Why? Because he's the son of 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 the son. And it's his land. 
So it's, this, is, this is an incredible thing. And I want you to see now, we're going to see something. We're going to see a courtroom drama, verses 1 through 10. But I want you to see underlying this. Love takes action. Love, true love. True love, right? <laughs> true love. I, I don't know where those things come from. I just, there's nothing here. Say, Bob, say true love in a funny voice. It just came out and my brain is not quick enough to stop my mouth. Okay, so, but love takes action. This is such a key thing. We're going to see this here, right? So she read this, but I want to just read it again. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend. <laughs> come over here, friend. Walk into a trap and sit down. And so he went and sat down and Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did. So I want you to see, this is a courtroom setting now. The elders at the, of the town, certain numbers of them each day gather at the gate. Business is transacted. Rules are made. Laws are talked about. People are, de- are dealt with. Justice is meted out. It's like, a, it's like a courtroom and a city hall all wrapped up in one spot. And when he tells them, sit down, that's the key. Sit downs means courts in session. I, uh, uh, past few weeks, I had the privilege of being on jury duty for five weeks on jury duty. I, man, come on, Gabe. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Gabe is involved with the deputies and they, they do jury duty, but he was very helpful to me when I asked him how I could get out of it. No, 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 that's a lie. That's a, why do I, why do I lie? I, said, I, said, I did call Gabe when I got, and I said, I don't understand how this works. You got to help me understand how this works because I think I'm really made of, and, uh, and he helped me and it, and it worked well. But I got called into jury duty. Um, um, I never actually, because I was really disappointed. I was telling the teens Wednesday night, I really wanted to be able to say, kill him, he murdered, you know, electric chair for you. But I didn't get to say that. Uh, the closest I got was just an argument between two people over injuries in a car wreck. So, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't that great. But when they said, when the judge comes in, okay, everybody stands, and now you sit, and we're in session. It's time. This is it. And this is what's going on here. I want you to see this. Part of this is us, uh, as we say this all the time, learning how to put ourselves in the shoes of the people who lived then. All right? People are walking by, everything. These elders sit down maybe in a circle. Maybe, maybe it was just something like this. You know, this is one artist's idea of how it worked. But they sit, and that, that tells everybody, don't, don't bother us. Court's in session. We're dealing with something here. We're dealing with something here. And so Boaz, there's a guy who's one step nearer to redeem the land and to be able to marry Ruth. And Boaz knows that. So Boaz has called court into session. He told her the night before, I'm on it. I'm on this. You can rest easy. And the next morning, you know, he does his Forrest Gump. He sprints, gets there early, and grabs this guy. This would make a great movie scene. So there's this court session going on. They sit down. It's a judicial matter. They have the, the, the elders, like a quorum or something like that. That was what was needed to adjudicate an issue. And, and, uh, and this is happening fast, right? Naomi knew it was going to happen fast. She saw the signs. She said, he's going to work fast. 
And I think probably the other man realizes this is happening a little fast also, because these kind of things oftentimes could get talked about on the side. Hey, let's and, and, you know, then bring it after a while. But this is happening, boom, just like that. A cynical person might think that someone was trying to pull a fast one here. And they might be right, all right? So then he said to the guardian redeemer, so Boaz is talking, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, I just, there's a, just, just a couple of things here. First of all, uh, this is where a lot of scholars struggle with, is when was the land sold? When was the land sold? Because in, in the Hebrew here, it is, uh, it is, in, is in, in, used in the perfect tense, which means a past thing that has been accomplished. It has been done in the past, all right? And so what, what's going on here? Now, uh, some, think, some people think that Elimelech kind of sold the land, maybe like mortgaged it like a pawn shop or something like that which they say there is some evidence of to finance the trip to Moab and to be able to live there, you know, because he went to Moab without a job, starving almost, and his family lived for 10 years. And so he obviously at least started with some money, and it's a compelling argument. And, uh, and the idea is, you know, it's like a pawn. You, you give them the land, they work the land while you're gone. When you come back, you buy it back. You redeem it, all right? And... Uh, so that the person who you pawned to can work the land and make a profit while you're gone. Or possibly the land has been lying fallow, and since Naomi has come back, she's going to sell it. And this is kind of how the NIV people took it. I kind of think that maybe it's the other, but it's not a huge deal. But in the perfect tense, it means a past completed action. And so I think maybe there's this, somebody has a financial hold on the land, and it's going to go to someone not in their clan, not in their family, if something isn't done, right? And this, again, understand, whichever way it is, this is a horrible thing. This to them is a tragedy. Land leaving the family. Unthinkable. It's unthinkable, right? So, it has to be redeemed. This can be, probably is, very costly, they're very costly. But Boaz does something interesting here. He tells the man, he tells the man right up front, I want the land. If you won't do it, I'll do it, right? He said to, he said to him in verse four, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am the next and I will redeem it, he said. So he brings up the land. That's what he's talking about here, this land that belongs to Naomi. And, and he tells him right off, I want it. I want it. I will redeem it. And so what happens? Um, the, the, uh, the man who says, ah, I'll do it. I'll do it. He jumps at the chance. No, he doesn't say, let me think about this, which he could have. He accepts that the matter is going to be dealt with on this day. And remember the situation there, the famine has ended, the land now is producing, the rains are coming in, and the crops are big, and this guy goes, oh, oh, there's, there's land available. Well, oh, I have to take care of Naomi. Okay, she's an older lady, won't be too expensive, won't be too hard, but that land, I like that land, so he jumps at it. 
Now, someone who's cynical might think Boaz is manipulating this man to get what Boaz wants. You might think that. So this man says, I'll take the land. I'll care for the elderly woman. It seems worth it. So love takes action. Boaz is pushing the matter. Now, I want you to see that love is willing to pay the price. Then Boaz said, by the way, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, ah, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Isn't that interesting? It's like, oh, by the way, you know, if you're ever talking to somebody and they say, I need to talk to you, and they talk to you for a minute, they go, oh, by the way, I almost forgot. They didn't almost forget. All right? It's not like, oh, this slipped my mind. No, now you know what they came for, right? When, when you get the, oh, by the way, you know now what the whole thing, what this is all about. And this is what he does. He says, ah, yes, let me remind you, there's this young woman, and you would have to then marry her and you would have to raise up an heir. Now, the heir, if, if, if he marries her and a son is born, that son now owns that land. And any profit from that land now goes to that son. So this is changing everything, you know? And, and I, I want you to see here, it, it sound, to acquire here, acquire Ruth the Moabite is, is, is kind of this, their way of saying, you spread your cloak over her. Remember, we talked about this. I can't go back into all of it. This is a way of saying, I take responsibility for this person. This person comes under my protection and authority. I, and so it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's not like, yeah, it's, it sounds worse this way, but that's what's going on. And so the, the guy's thinking, hmm, so I have to feed both women and then I have to raise a son and I get nothing in the deal? Oh, and by the way, he mentions it. He takes pains to mention it. She's a Moabite, you know, the people we hate. She's a Moabite, the ones that have dealt badly with us. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, she's a dead man's widow, which is how you get to be a widow, I guess. But um, <laughs> Boab, Boaz emphasizes two very negative things. Because this is, this is a difficult ask in this culture. And we see this a number of times. We see this in other places in the Bible where a man dies, a woman marries a man, and the man dies. And people think, is she cursed? What's wrong? How did that happen? Right? And we, a very famous one where two sons die, one, and two sons die. And then it's like, like, oh my goodness, right? And so what's going on him is this man is thinking, he, he's been offered this, Boaz has told him, you're the first in line. And he's thinking, man, Elimelech and Naomi move to Moab and Elimelech dies. They take their two young sons, they get married and they both die. They married Moabites. There's a lot of dying in this family, right? He's thinking this, and he's saying, I can't afford the risk. I can't afford it. This would endanger my inheritance. He's, you know, how do you say it? She might be a killer. There's been a lot of deaths. I don't want to take that chance for the possible profit out of one piece of land. And so he's basically saying, oh, wait, oh, sorry, 
I forgot. <laughs> I'm out of money. <laughs> Darn. I got to go to the bank because they told me, you know, bank account's zero and I'm behind. And, oh, where's the time gone? I got to wash my chariot. And off he goes. He says, hey, take my sandal. He says, I'm done here. I don't want to do it. And here's where we see the wisdom of Boaz. Because in Deuteronomy 25, when the kinsman redeemer is explained, when they go into detail on that, and it's usually a brother, it's, it's, it, it, that's the thing, but they often let it go even further. But if a brother didn't do it, if a brother didn't redeem this woman, there were consequences for him. He would be led into the city gate and he would be shamed in front of the elders and they would say, change his name to the man who doesn't redeem. You know, they give them this title of man who doesn't redeem like God commanded him to. And they, they shame him. There's all kinds of consequences. But here's what's happening. Boaz is saying, I'll take her. No consequences. You don't have to worry. There'll be no shame. I'm on it. I'm ready. I got the cash in hand. I'll redeem that land. I'll take Naomi. I'll take Ruth. I will, I will try to raise up a son in the dead man, her dead husband's name, so the name doesn't disappear. And so by announcing beforehand that he wanted to do it, he's saving that man embarrassment and shame. He gives him an easy out because he wants him to take the easy out. He is subtly, brilliantly manipulating and moving and mentioning things at just the right time so that that man goes, nah. I can't do it. And it's like, nah, I can't do it. Done. He's like that. He's on it. Why? Because he wants to marry her. He wants to marry her. And so we see love is willing to pay that price. So love takes action. Love is willing to pay the price. Now, love is willing to be accountable. Verse 7. Now, earlier in times of Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought, I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, uh, Kilian, and Malon. I've, I got, I, I've done it. He's taken responsibility. The right of redemption is passed to Boaz, and he could care less about the property he wants Ruth. This is an incredible love story. And he announces, you guys are witnesses of this. It's like, let's, you know, da, 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 da. And he's got a sandal in his hand. And it looks weird to us because we think, what? But back then, not hardly anybody could write. So what did they do? They used things like it was a sandal. It was the, a sandal from the man's shoe. And if any time in the future somebody came by and said, wait a minute, I don't think that, that land is yours. Bonk, I got the sandal. Still smells bad. Here it is. It's, I got the sandal. This is my title to this property. And so he announces to the elders. And then he says, I have also acquired, I have taken under my cloak, Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with, with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. Case closed. It's done. This is a judicial ruling. He uses your witness. He uses the word witnesses three times to emphasize. I'm pledging to raise up a son in the dead man's name, keeping that name alive. 
keeping that property within the family, which is so key to them, so important to them. I've taken Ruth under my cloak just as I promised her I would do. And now, you know, I'm getting married in the morning, right? He is, it's all done. What a difference a day makes. It's all done. And it's just this beautiful story. Love, this love that he has, this love that we see in the way God treats us. Love takes action. Love is willing to pay the price. Love is willing to be accountable. So that's the courtroom drama. Now there's this strange blessing. I love this. We have three blessings here in verse 11 and, and, uh, verse 11 and 12, I think. Then the elders and all the people of the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in, in Ephrathim and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So there's three mayus, there's three blessings that are given here. It's very interesting in, in how they're blessed. First of all, they say, may, may, may Ruth be like, like Leah and Rachel. And, and the idea is Leah and Rachel, even though they had their, their problems, they founded the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel traces themselves back to those two women. And they said, so may you, you have children and may it be great like Rachel and Leah, the founding, the starting of something awesome. That's the first blessing. The second blessing is basically, may you become powerful and strong and, and, and famous, you know, fame and honor and a well-known name. Just a blessing for that God would just bless you with these things. You know, there's an interesting thing when Solomon built the temple there are two pillars that stand right out the doors into the holy place leading into the holy of holy. Two pillars that, that are gigantic and incredibly expensively made. And those two pillars uh, um, just have this idea of you're walking into the holiest place on planet earth. And the pillars are named. And one of the names on the pillars is Boaz. He became so famous so well-respected, so great, that Solomon said, I got two pillars that need names. One of them's gonna be Boaz. One of them's gonna be Boaz. He became this giant of a man in that culture. Okay, so that second blessing happened. Then there's the third blessing, which to me is more of the strange one. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. This is an odd one. If you know the story of Judah and Tamar, it's a little bit of an odd one. It's one of those ones that we, maybe we can take, just take a quick look at. <laughs> all right, so Judah had three sons, all right? And the first son's name was Ur, which if you're gonna name a son, because Ur seems to go right into error, and I just think that's, yeah, this is my little mistake, you know? Yeah. So first name is Ur, I'm just being silly, okay. And, and so she, he, she, he marries uh, this woman named Tamar. And um, he's, uh, he's an evil man, and he, he ends up dying. And then he has a second son named Onan. Not as bad, I guess. But Onan uh, doesn't, he, he doesn't like Tamar. He, he, they say, you got to take her to raise up the name. It's, this, is, this is what we do. This is what we do. And he doesn't like her. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to do it. And so he refuses to impregnate her. 
let's just make it short. He refuses to impregnate her, and then he dies. And, and part of why he states why he doesn't want to impregnate her is that if she has a son, all of Ur's property goes to that son. And Onan was like, if she doesn't have a son, it all goes to me. It all goes to me. It's greed. It's just greed. And the Bible identifies that. And he dies. So Judah sends Tamar away. He's got a third son who's not quite old enough, but he will be soon to be a husband. And he's got a third son. And she, by law, you know, that's how that should work. But he sends her away. You know why he sends her away? Because he goes, dead, dead. I only got three sons. And she is what's in common. This is, this is like a masterpiece theater mystery going on here. Why do these men keep dying when they get in a tent with this woman? And so he sends her away. He does, he does what he's not supposed to do. He does what is wrong. And uh, then a little later, Judah's wife dies. And one day, Judah is out on a trip. And she hears that he's out on a trip. Tamar hears that he's out on a trip. And this is where, you know, this gets, this is, gets crazy and mind-blowing. She dresses up as a prostitute. And he's walking by, and she's like, hey, big fella, you know. And, uh, and so they, they, they have sex. I hate saying that, just out loud. I just hate saying it. And so, and so what happens? He says, I'm going to pay you. And she says, okay, pay up. And he says, it'll be a sheep. She goes, you got it on you? And he goes, I don't carry sheep on me, right? So he says, I'll give you my staff, and I'll give you my signet. To prove, you know, when this, I send up somebody with a sheep, you give them the staff and signet, they give you the sheep, and, and we're all done, right? So she just goes away. She just leaves. He doesn't come back. He sends a guy with the sheep. Guy says, I can't find her. No, you know, and so that's the end of that. Then later he hears that she's pregnant, and he says, she deserves to die. My daughter-in-law getting pregnant? with the, the hate that only hypocrites seem to be able to muster like that. And uh, so they drag her to him. She says, well, listen, yeah, you can kill me. Let me just show you who the man is that did it so you can kill him too. Yeah, yeah, right. And he says an incredible thing. He says, she is more righteous than I am. She's more righteous than I am. And so what does that mean? Why is that a blessing? You know, you think about that. Why is that a blessing? And here... Here I, think is the, uh, here, I think, is what's going on here. She's in this terrible situation. She found a solution to her desperate need because Judah could have taken her legally as, as, the, as a kinsman redeemer. She tricks him into fathering a child with her, and she's chosen not to, to abandon her family line but to force Judah to do what, what should have been right. And, and because of her chutzpah, she entered in a line that then, it says, that came to David. She saved Judah's family line by what she did, by this incredible thing that she did. And I think it's because, not that God is saying we should emulate her. This is this idea of that there are some things that are so important 
And being obedient to God is most important. You know, it's like when Jesus tells stories about the kingdom of God, and he talks about the guy that discovers a treasure in a field. And what does the guy do? He covers it back up, and then he goes to the guy who owns the field. We've been talking about fields a lot. And he says, I'd like to buy that field over, you know, that one that's worth practically nothing. And the guy goes, okay. And he buys the field, and he goes back, and he gets the treasure. Now, is Jesus giving us tips on how to do real estate? Nuh-uh. He's saying that once you see the kingdom of God, once you see the treasure, it overwhelms you. You will do anything to get it. You will do anything to get it. And so she rescued Judah's line from extinction. And they celebrate that. So the Jews, this tells the story of a woman who believed what God had said and figured out a way to bring his plan about for her life, even if it was not the most righteous way of doing things. It was more righteous than Judah. And so the people of Ruth's time, they believed that, that, that this, this saved this, this, this line from extinction, and now Ruth is going to save Perez's line from extinction. So he said, may you be blessed like that. An interesting blessing. Okay, last thing real quick, a child of grace. So Boaz took Ruth, and she, she became his wife, and he made love to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. And he did. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him, and the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David, the line of David. And so then we get, at, this is a, a genealogy, and this is so important to them. It seems weird to us, but then this is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Adimadah. the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of Ruth. So, and Jesse, the father of David. I said Ruth, yeah. And so, and so we have this incredible, this incredible genealogy. But this genealogy is repeated. And let me just show it to you real quick. Oh, I'm running late, crap. Um, the Judah, the father of Perez. This is from Matthew chapter one. See how similar it is. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Oh, that's not quite exactly similar. There's Tamar again. How does she keep cropping up? Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. This is very interesting. There's three women in this genealogy. That's never done. Okay, this is a patriarchal society. I'm really sorry about that. Men run everything. They don't put women's names in genealogies, but Matthew did. And I can imagine Matthew, you know, I don't know how it works. You know, he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and God's saying, write this, write this, write this, write this. Okay, add that name. And it's like, God, that's, that's a woman's name. It doesn't go there. It's just, I, I want you to add that name. Do it. You know, however, however, when the Holy Spirit speaks sharply to you, do it. And he, so he adds it, and he adds Tamar, and he's like, I never liked that story, right? And then, and then he says, okay, there's another, add Rahab. Rahab, the, the harlot, do it. So he adds Rahab. He says, add Ruth. Ruth, it's not quite as bad, but she's a Moabite. Do it. And those three things are added to the genealogy of Jesus, those three women. 
are added to the genealogy of Jesus. Why? Why? Because those are the people God says are important to me. These women, they're all foreigners. They're all outcasts. They all have a stain on their name for whatever reason. They were all hated at some time. I mean, Tamar, with what we just talked about. Rahab, it says she's a harlot. She's a prostitute. That's her job. And she's held up as in the line of Christ. She saved the line of Christ. Then Ruth, the Moabitess, she saved the line of Christ. They're all in his genealogy. First time I studied the book of Ruth, I really struggled. I had done some research on what um, Israelites thought of Moabites. And there's, there's good reason for it. It's not like they were just being mean. The Moabites had done some horrible things. And I thought, why, why is Boaz, who is a righteous man, he's a righteous man, why is he, it's, it's that, that word that they use, it's like a follower of the law. Why is he willing? Why is, he's just not willing. He's eager. He's eager to marry this woman. Why would he do that? And in this, if you look in the middle, father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab the harlot. If ever there was a man who grew up on the knee of a mother who told him of this grace of God that reaches the unreachable, that reaches to the people who are at the very bottom, to the people who no one cares about, to the people who are the least of these, to the people that we would disregard and disrespect easily. That's God who says, these are the people I want. These are the people. And so Boaz was ready. He, if ever a man was perfectly prepared to say, I will marry her, it was Boaz. That's our God. That's our God. He rescues the helpless. He loves those who are unloved. He reaches out to those who are at their wit's end and have nothing else to, to, to lean on. That's our God. And that's why they're in the genealogy of Jesus. When you read Matthew chapter one, there's four women. Every single one of them is a foreigner. Every single one of them is in a difficult, ugly situation. And all four women are in that genealogy. And the last name, at the, remember genealogies, the last name that's mentioned is the one that it's all pointing to. The last name is Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus said, I want them. I want them in my genealogy. Think about that. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on in your life, but Jesus wants you. He wants you. And Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, and he is a shadow. He is, is a foretelling of Jesus, who is the kinsman redeemer for us. He came, and we talked about this with this whole idea of, uh, of love. Love, is, love, is, love takes action. Jesus took action. God came as a man for us lived this life, went to the cross for us. Love is willing to pay the price. Jesus paid our price. Love is willing to be accountable. Jesus said, I will take it for everyone, everyone. Jesus died for you. When he died on that cross, your name came to his mind. Your face came to his mind because he died for you. He died for you. And we know 
you know, he, we see in Scripture that then there's this decision we have to make to become a child of God, accepting Christ as our Savior, accepting what he's done for us. And then knowing that he went to the cross, he died, and he rose from the dead to prove I've got victory over death. My salvation is effective. And when we do that, it changes us. Five, th- four things real quick, too. I always, you know, so what? Okay, Bob, nice story. Cool story. Wow, that's just great. Love the sound effects you make, all right? First, every blessing comes through a costly redemption. Understand that in our lives. The blessings God has brought into your life, there was a costly redemption behind them. We must make a decision to be redeemed. Ruth went to Boaz and asked him to marry her. Jesus says, come unto me all you are, who are weary and heavy laden. Each decision, we must make a decision to be redeemed. When we begin to understand what Jesus has done for us, his love for us, nothing else will do. Everything else pales in comparison. When we begin to understand his love for us, what he's done for us, we suddenly, everything else becomes less and less important. Can you imagine when, when Boaz came to Naomi and Ruth and said, it's done, I have, the, I have the sandal, let's get married, right? Let's get married. So just the, oh, the joy, the joy with Ruth, the joy with Naomi, God answered our prayers. God works in strange ways. The last thing is God works in strange ways and uses people we would not expect. Look for that in your life. Be open to that in your life. God working in ways that catch you by surprise. God using people that you would never expect to use. Um, I remember one time, uh, um, the homeless guy we've worked with a lot over the years, Mark, he, he came by, he said he wanted to talk to me real quick. And I was a little bit annoyed. I was, it was a Saturday morning and I was working on my message and I just thought, I, I just don't want 45 minutes to talk to this guy. He's obviously been drinking. And, uh, so we talked about five minutes and I said, uh, Mark, I, I really got to get to my work. Uh, dude, I'm, I'm not trying, I don't want to be rude, but I, I got stuff I got to do. And he goes, okay, let me just tell you one more thing. I'm like, okay, one more thing. And, I, and he told me the most profound thing about the love of God. He, I, I don't know where it came from because it, I just, it, it stunned me. And he told me something about myself that I was like, oh, that's really true. I'm wanting to blow off what he's saying, and suddenly he's speaking these profound things. And I said, hey, let's sit down, and we'll talk for a while. I'm okay. This is obviously God working, and so I'm going to listen to this guy. Now, not everything he said was profound, but one or two things he said was incredibly profound. And he left, and I went back, and I sat down, And I said, God, obviously you are capable of speaking to me in ways that I hadn't anticipated you you doing. Help me to be open to this next time. Next time. So look for God in ways you don't expect and people you don't expect. Understand there's a decision that has to be made. It's a costly redemption. But once you begin to get a hold of it and begin to understand what Jesus has done for you, nothing else matters the same anymore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. Lord,
We thank you for how you've shared with us today through people, through your word, through different events. God, we lift up Caitlin to you. We love her. We pray that you would, uh, that you would bring healing, give the doctors wisdom and skill. Help us to be there in times of need and to be faithful in prayer for her. Got to pray for Manny, going so far away, all alone, practically difficult situation. Pray, God, that you would bring healing. You give the doctors wisdom and skill. We look forward to seeing him back in our congregation. And Lord, in these things, we come to you and we trust you because you are a good God. In Jesus' name, amen.